At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been into one of the big multiple-use bookstores lately, you know there's a large section in all of them, very bright yellow books. These books are written for dummies. Have you seen them? Everyone has in its title dummies. This week I picked up Amazon.com just to see how many titles I could find. One was Home Repair for Dummies, Auto Repair for Dummies, Computer Operation for Dummies, Shakespeare for Dummies, a new one I'd not seen before, The Bible for Dummies. Now, Jesus doesn't call us dummies in this passage. He calls us babies, infants. Let's take a look. He begins by saying, I thank you, Father. In the Greek text, this is the word pater. But as far as we can tell, Jesus didn't speak Greek. He spoke Aramaic. And the Aramaic word he would have used is Abba, my father. And then it's the Greek word kurios. It's the same one we have in the mosaic in the south end of the great hall just behind us here. Kurios, the Lord. It's used of the name for God at the burning bush. God who sent Moses back to Egypt, who by visiting plague upon plague upon them, led his people to freedom, parted the waters of the sea, brought them again to Mount Sinai where he gave them the Ten Commandments. Moses and all those wonderful stories, the very heart of the Torah, that one, Lord, so my Father, the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. It's all about his relationship to the Father and the Father's relationship to him and a relationship that you and I can know. Mildred Kadish has written a memoir of her growing up in Iowa. She grew up a long time ago in the Great Depression. She never mentions her father. We're not told in the book just what happened to him. She talks about her mother. She talks about her grandmother and her grandfather. But they lived on a small farm outside a small town in Iowa. But what she describes is very much what you and I have heard from our parents and grandparents about growing up at the same time in Oklahoma or Texas. These were the days of the Great Depression. She calls her book The Heathen. She's talking about herself and some of her friends. When in fact, she simply says, we were a little unconventional. She really grew up among faithful people. She calls them hearty handshake Methodists. I've never heard that expression before. She grew up among the hearty handshake Methodists, she said. But though her grandmother, grandfather, and her mother never swore... She said, I learned how to swear. 
There are some things that happen on a farm, she said, that just require certain words to be spoken. When a cow kicks over a half-filled bucket of milk, something needs to be said. When you're gathering eggs and you need every egg and one of them has fallen and broken or it's slipped out of your hand, just something needs to be said. So she called herself a heathen. When she got a little bit bigger, high school age, and started going to dances, people would sometimes spike the punch. And she told her grandmother and grandfather about that, knowing they were teetotalers, those hearty handshake Methodists of Iowa. And when her grandfather said, you must never ever do that, she said, now, Grandpa, the Bible said Jesus changed water into wine. And he said, yes, and it's the only thing I've always held against him. <laughs> but as she tells her story of how few things they had, she said, but there's a far greater lack in a person's life, and that is loss of identity, not knowing who you are, to whom you're related, to whom you belong. And her book of the heathen is about growing up knowing exactly to whom she was related and to whom she belonged. It was the God of those hearty handshake Methodists to whom she related and to whom she belonged. Jesus is saying, I know the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. The Father certainly knows me, knows my heart, knows my purpose among you. I want you to know him too. Number two, he comes to this part about the infants. The infants. Now, every scholar I read this week, and I have seven really good commentaries on Matthew, all the scholars use similar words to say, He's not really talking about babies, of course, any more than Paul is when he talks about babes in Christ or babes in the faith. Dr. Edward Schweitzer, in his commentary, said he really means those who are teachable, those who think they can see are really blind, those who know they are blind spiritually may, may be made to see, those who think they hear and do not understand are not really hearing. So the infants or the babies or the common people who tended to hear him gladly, who were willing to surrender everything to one who made them feel that they belonged, that they were important, that they were children of God, sons and daughters of the Almighty. It was about relationship. To these infants, to these babes, he said, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Come to me from your heavy-heartedness, from your pains, from your hurts, your disappointments. Earlier last week, Beverly Sills died. I'm sure you saw that. I never met Miss Sills, of course, but I saw her many times on television. And after doing evangelism calling the other night, I was flipping through the channels and saw that OETA had a great performances program. It didn't say what it was, and I flipped it over to see the great performances, and it was a two-hour special on Beverly Sills. It included a lot of her interviews. I had seen her on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson any number of times. I don't remember David Letterman having an opera singer. I don't remember Jay Leno having an opera singer, but Johnny Carson had her quite often. 
Not only did he interview her, she had been on the Dick Cavett show, and there were excerpts of that one. She'd been on the Mike Douglas show, there were excerpts of that one. She'd been on the Merv Griffin show, sang a duet with Merv Griffin, one of the clips they had. But as she was interviewed by one after the other, over a period of years, whoever had put this special together had pulled these little bits and pieces that she had shared at different times to tell her own life story. Beverly Sills was born into poverty. Not in a small farm outside a little town in Iowa. She was born in Brooklyn, New York. Her parents were immigrant families. Both sides of her family, mother and father, Jews. Her maiden name was Silverman. Her father's family had come from Bucharest, Romania. Her mother's family had come from Odessa, Russia. They had ended up in New York City, had met and married, had had two sons, and then along came Beverly. They called her Bubbles. Uh, shortly after she was born, when her mother got her first look at her, she said she opened her mouth and little bubbles were coming out of her mouth, and so she called her Bubbles. And when Carol Burnett was interviewed about her friend, she called her Bubbles. She said it was a name that lasted all of her lifetime. Beverly Sills, mother, father, two older brothers, five of them living in a little one-bedroom flat in Brooklyn, New York. Her dad was a salesman. But it was difficult to sell things in the Great Depression. She was born in 1929, died at the age of 78. But the 1930s were tough in Brooklyn, New York as well. Often there was not enough to eat, no new clothes to wear. But the family had bought a tiny, inexpensive little radio. And this radio was tuned to opera. Her mother loved it, her father loved it. And she came to love it as well. In time, she knew 75 operas by heart, and not only her role, but all the other parts as well. She became a very famous diva, sang all over the opera world. It didn't mean her pains and hurts had gone away. She married a fellow named Sills, and after a couple of years, they had a little girl. Beautiful. They loved her with all of their heart. Just before she was two years old, people started remarking that, why doesn't she say something? Why doesn't she speak? And they had a series of tests run and discovered she was deaf. She wasn't speaking because she wasn't hearing. Six weeks after that, her little boy was born, terribly disabled, absolutely non-functioning ever in his life. So here in these great moments of her life when she sang to thousands of people and sold hundreds of thousands of records, she came home every night to a little girl who would never hear her sing and a little boy who didn't even know who she was. And in time, her husband had Alzheimer's and she went through that long 10-year goodbye that many of you have known with someone you love. You see, all God's children have problems. All God's children have a heartache somewhere. And Jesus says, Come, all you that are weary and heavy laden, come, take my yoke. Number three. That's the next key thing. Will you come? Will you not come? In the old summertime revivals, often the invitation lasted longer than the sermon. The preacher, if he felt there was somebody there who was so close to making a decision, he'd sing, let's, let's sing one more verse. 
Let's sing that last verse one more time. Let's have that verse one more time. I've been in those revival services where they would sing and sing. Wait, wait, let's have somebody say a prayer. And they'd call on somebody to say a prayer. That whoever was struggling with the Lord would let go, come forward, and be made new in baptism and profession of faith. The Billy Graham Crusaders sang what we're going to sing in just a few moments, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God. I come. Comes a moment, you see, for making a decision. To make a decision. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading my Christian Century magazine, and there was a movie review in there about a movie that had done very well at the Sundance Film Festival. You know that Robert Redford began the Sundance Film Festival for small independent films that would not even be recognizable to the folks who put on the much bigger show in Cannes, France. This year, one of the winners at the Sundance Film Festival was a little inexpensive movie made in Ireland. It's about Dublin, Ireland. In the credits, it lists the principal male as simply the guy and the principal female as the girl. The movie begins with this guy singing on a street corner. In the daytime, he repairs lawn, uh, vacuum cleaners in his father's shop. Repairs vacuum cleaners all day, but at night he does what he really loves. He stands on a street corner and sings, playing his own guitar, singing his own compositions. And what he sings about every night on the street corner is his lost love. She's gone away to London. He doesn't know if he'll ever see her again. From a broken heart, he sings. Guitar case open, occasionally a coin tossed inside. The girl is from the Czech Republic. She's a little younger, but she's a mother already. She lives with her mother and father and this little girl of hers. The daddy is still in the Czech Republic, has chosen not to come with them, not to be a part of their lives. She also is a musician. She doesn't even have a guitar. She plays piano, but she has no piano. So there is a music store there in Dublin that will let her come in and play the piano if she doesn't bother anyone when she plays. To help her mother and father eke out a meager living there in Dublin, she sells roses on the street. And one night she's selling roses when she comes across this fellow standing on the street corner, no one else around, singing these heartbreaking songs of his, and they touch her. As they get to know each other a little bit better, he goes to hear her play piano, and she sings one of her songs, and it's so deep of her love for this husband who stayed in the Czech Republic that she breaks down in the middle of the song. But eventually, they make music together, though one of the reviewers I read, I've read two really good reviews, Tulsa World had a good one this week as well, and it said, but this is a romance without sex. This is a romance. This is a new moment in the life of each one. The title of the movie is Once. Not once upon a time, because that would definitely mean past, but once. Once? Now, once more. Huh? Does one keep pursuing the love of one's life in London, in Czech Republic, or does one start over, begin again? The movie isn't going to tell you, neither am I except to say, which way do they go? Which way do they go? The title is a key once. And in the old revivals, this was the moment. Will you come to him? Will you take his yoke? 
Will you learn of him? Number four. My yoke is easy, he says. He talks about rest. In the old days, one got to rest only after one had worked really, really hard. And Jesus said, but this is not about working hard. It's not about working hard. It's about receiving a gift. Receiving a gift. One of the commentaries I read said, You see, the religious folk often treated the babies, the infants, the little ones, those without power, those without voice, as if they were no more than camels, wolves. You pack them as heavily as you can. That wasn't Jesus' attitude toward them. It was, would you be yoked with me? If you will be yoked with me, you will not have it easier in some sense. Remember in this same Gospel of Matthew, we have the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, the Torah says you shall not murder. And that's right. But I want those who come with me not even to scream hateful things at a brother or sister. The Torah says you shall not commit adultery. And that's right. I'm going to ask you not even to lust after a woman or a man in your own heart. Remember? He didn't ask less of them. He asked more, if anything. And yet he says, but this is rest for your soul. This is easy. Dr. Eugene Peterson, in his translation, has it. You will find that my yoke is not ill-fitting, nor will I load you to heaven. Another, Dr. Edvard Schweitzer again says, it's all about relationship here. Jesus has never asked of any of us any more than he was willing to do. And for him to stand in the pit with us and do what needs to be done. When I was a boy, I saw an old movie about Father Flanagan's Boys Town. Did you see that? Spencer Tracy played the role of a priest. Uh, Mickey Rooney was the little boy. That was a long time ago. My mother and father had never been to Nebraska in their lives. But they were so smitten, they started sending a little offering to Father Flanagan's Boys Town. Father Flanagan's Boys Town. All those years, remember what the logo was when we'd get mail thanking my mother and dad for their gift. It always pictured one boy with another little boy on his back in knee-deep snow, and the older one is saying, He ain't heavy, Father. He's my brother. That's what Jesus is saying. This is easy if we are rightly related to each other. My father... And I and you, he says, rightly related to each other. There's rest in surrendering. There's rest in receiving the gift. Though much is expected of us, God Almighty, God's Son, Jesus Christ, will be there with us, sharing the load all the way. Summa Kid in her book, First Light, talks about autism. There are many different kinds, as it were, many different manifestations of autism. Uh, many of us learned something about autism when we saw Rain Man. The Dustin Hoffman uh, character that he played was so terribly limited. 
and yet he could count cards in Las Vegas, remember? We know that some victims of autism have an unusual ability to play a piano, but may be completely dysfunctional in other parts of their lives. Sue writes about a young girl who couldn't speak at all, couldn't say a word, and yet she could use a computer. She had learned to do word processing. And one day a woman reporter had asked for permission of the parents if she could interview this child. They gave permission with their sitting close by. And the reporter asked, if you cannot speak, it must be very lonely in such a quiet world. And the little girl typed, I can hear the deepest whispers of God. And the interviewer said, really? And what does God say to you? And she typed, he said, he loves me too.